Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to be talking to you about finding abundant life. Uh, This is something that I'm actually still working through myself. Uh, So as as I talk to you this morning, I am not talking at you. I am sitting in the chairs talking with you, and I feel like this is a journey that we can go on together uh, in understanding how to walk in this abundant life. There is a way to do this that is the kingdom way, and then there's the ways of the world uh, which try to do this. And a lot of times what happens is we get caught up in the things of the world. There's, There's actually two kingdoms, and they do not play well together at all. Uh, there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. This is the world system. And, uh, and, and they do not go hand in hand. They're actually, uh, one is countercultural to the other. They're actually, uh, you've got the kingdom of God and then you have another one over here that is really a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. And you'll see, you see many times, almost in, I would say in everything, it's actually the opposite of the kingdom of God. It's crazy. Uh, how this, this works. But as you, as you look at things and you go, okay, this is how the kingdom of God works. And then you go, okay, how does the world work? And you go, oh, it's completely the opposite. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> this, is, this is the concept that we're going to begin to understand. So this morning, my prayer is that, that we would actually, there would be a, a mind shift in the way we actually think in the culture that we have, even in this place, that as we, as we understand this concept, and it's a, it's a continual process of going from glory to glory. It talks about in 2 Corinthians uh, that it's ever the ever-increasing glory that as we're being transformed into his likeness, and it's for the glory of God. And so this is what we are moving into, and we're, it's not like a well, we're here and we have to get here. It's just a process that we're going through. And uh, it's funny, you know, Christy and I, we were talking about it last night. And we look back in our lives. I'm like, man, I look at like where we were 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And just the, as the revelation and the knowledge of God like is imparted to us, as we get this greater understanding of who he is, this is how we begin to know the Father more and begin to walk closer to him. Our whole purpose in this earth is being more and more Christ-like that we would become more Christ-like, and in that, that we would operate in the things that we're called to operate in on this earth. Uh, so here's the thing. We've got this, these two systems. You've got the world system, and, and so when the world talks about living an abundant life, what, what do you think is included in that? Health. Health, yeah. Finances. Power. Yeah. What is it? (laughs) Big boats. (laughs) Freedom. Yeah. My happiness. Relationship. Yeah. Yeah, these are all things that the world would say, hey, these are good things. And and here's the thing. Let me stop right here and just say, none none of these things are bad. It's not that they're, they're bad things. The, the question is, is are we going after these things or are we going after the Lord? So I'm going to get into this, but, but I want to just clarify up front that as we're talking about kind of the things of this world, it's not, that, it's not that they are bad in and of themselves, 
but it's how we respond to them versus how we respond to the Lord. And are we willing to lay those things down? If you, talk, you, know, if you look at the, the rich young ruler and he goes, like, you know, I've done it all. I've, I've, and he says, then Jesus says to him, he goes, what else do I have to do to enter the kingdom? He goes, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And he's like, ah, oh, can't do that. <laughs> I could do everything else, but I can't do that. Because he had his life in his finances and the richness of what he had on earth. He was locked up in that so much that he couldn't let that go. Now, I believe if he would have let that go, he would have been blessed in so many ways. But, it, but he couldn't walk away from that. And so this is what we're going to get into. But you guys said it better than I have it here. But there's a few things I was saying. You know, it's, it's self-preservation. It's, it's taking this ownership of our lives. The world says we've got to take ownership. We've got to, like, own it, run it, and, and make it happen. Or, or it's not going to happen. We've got to have the 401k in place. We've got to have everything in place, you know, our health benefits. We've got to make sure that we're working out, we're healthy, all these things. And again, not that they're bad, but where's our focus? And so uh, I was looking. There's a, there's a recent Pepsi ad, uh, a video, uh, or it was on TV, and it says this. This is the slogan it had. Do it because it feels right. These are the things, this is the type of thing that I think the world would say, yeah, that, that makes sense. Do it because it feels right. If it feels right, we should go after it. Uh, I did a little research on Google and found this article uh, written in 2017, back in October, about finding happiness. And uh, I put the summary of it up on the screen here. So I will, uh, but if, there it is, 15 ways to live a happy life. Here it is. So write these things down, and then we're going to be good to go. All right? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, do what you love. Help others. Be thankful. Share with others. Smile more. Exercise. Seek out a life coach. Find ways to manage stress. Eat healthy. Spend time with your loved ones. Dump negative thinking. Give more gifts. Forgive and forget. Take a walk in nature, that's a good one, and be yourself. Now, if you think through this, you go, well, gosh, yeah, this is good. These are all good things. Like, if I do these things, I could probably live happily ever after, right? But this is, this is not what the Word of God says. Not at all. It's actually quite the opposite. Uh, God isn't looking for us to follow a checklist in order to have this abundant life. He doesn't care about the checklist. He really just wants us to follow after him. That's, that's the biggest deal right there. And, you know, and as I, yeah, let me just move forward. So um, here's what I want to do. I just want to pray that as we, as we dig into this, that the Holy Spirit would really just move on our hearts and open our heart in this area that we would see this because it is a hard message. Uh, there's some things in here that, you know, you don't usually hear. I, I don't think this is a typical message. It's not the rah-rah message. Uh, but we don't have an a la carte Bible. Uh, we don't get to choose, pick and choose uh, the things that we want to talk about. Uh, and so these are some of the harder subjects, but these are also the ones that give us the abundant life. This is, this is such a critical piece that we understand. 
So, Father, I just pray quickly, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you move on the hearts of every person here. Lord, that this is your words that, that pierce deeply into the hearts of us, that you would move us, that you would begin to, to change the fabric of a culture that we live in, the mindset, you would shift the mindset, shift our attitude, shift our understanding, give us your perspective and your understanding, Lord. I pray that, that we would be in a place of, of just being humble before you, Lord, where there's no pride in this, that, oh, we got it figured out, but that we would lay down that pride. Lord, I thank you that you raise us up when we, when we lay down our pride and we walk in humility. So, Father, as we walk in this place of humility, begin to just raise us up. And, Lord, I pray that you would show us how to walk in and through this, Lord, that we would truly live an abundant life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys wake. Do I need to have you all, like, stand up? Jump around real quick. <laughs> uh, Matthew 10, 39 says this. This is Jesus. He's sending out his 12 disciples. They are about to go and minister to, to people. He's given them authority, and he's saying, ready, get set, go. But he's teaching them these things uh, before they go out and heal the sick and cast out demons. This is one of the critical things that he says. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That goes completely countercultural to the world because everyone's trying to find their life. Like, how do I do this? Here's, here's the thing. Who created us? So we have a creator, and a lot of times what we try to do is we try to have our independence. We try to get independent of the things of the Lord. And, and move forward in our way for the things that we think we need to do. This happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, where they wanted their independence. They created that independence. But we were created to be dependent upon the Lord. And when we walk in this dependence with the Lord, we actually walk in the perfect place of what we were designed to do because now we have the Lord, who's our creator, speaking down to us, telling us what to do. And he knows exactly what we were created for. And so if we can get this, if we can begin to understand that this is not about us, this is not about us trying to save our lives, but it's about us actually laying our lives down and saying, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for you. I want to hear your voice and the things that you call me to do, they're going to be better than anything I could come up with on my own. Amen. amen. Thank you for that one amen. <laughs> so... Matthew 16, I'm going to jump forward now, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. You guys have heard this. Uh, I'll just read it. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, I know we've heard this. I want to read this now in another version. This is the Passion Version. And, and I think what this does is, is a lot of times we hear something and it, we kind of become numb to it. It's almost like, ooh, I don't really like that one. Like, and we kind of move on, right? So in this, I want you to hear this a new way that will maybe kind of jar our thinking a little bit. So it says in the Passion, then Jesus said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own. As you continually, 
And this is the key. Continually surrender to my ways. This is Jesus speaking. And I know this is kind of a hard message here, but this is his words. Then he goes on to say, for if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your life for my glory, you will continually, there's that word continually again, continually discover true life. This is the abundant life. But if you choose to keep your lives to yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. Then he goes on to say, for even if you were to gain all the wealth and power in the world with everything it has to offer at a cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? Here's the thing. There's actually only one way to this abundant life, and it's, it's losing our life. Makes no sense. Makes no sense to the world. It says the, the ways of this world, or the ways of the Father, are actually foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is, this is for us. This is the power that we walk in. This is an understanding that we need to have in our lives. And it's a continual process that we go through. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to get there, but we're going to start on this process today. Uh, so we have to continually lay down our lives. We have to basically uh, release this self-ownership and say, okay, it's no longer about me. Let me give you a quick example. It would be like if you had a home here in Colorado and someone came up to you and they said, I have a place for you. It's in Hawaii. We'll use Hawaii for uh, just, okay. And it's right on the beach. And it's a beautiful home, massive home, like as many rooms as you could possibly imagine. And I'm going to give you, you've got a car, you've got all the food you want, you've got everything you want. It's all paid for. It's all yours. And so you're here in Colorado, and you're sitting in here, and you're going, man, I got to tell you about this amazing life that I have. I've got this place in Hawaii, and I can live there, and I have everything. I have everything that I would ever need. But you never go there. You're living outside of reality. You're, living, you're, you're telling people about something that you actually have never discovered for yourself. And so here's the thing is we cannot live, we cannot be in two places at the same time. And this is what, this is what it's talking about in the Bible when it's like this double-mindedness and, and we, we want to be over here, but we're still, we're still trying to keep one foot over here in the worldly things and focusing on these things and saying, well, yeah, I want to go after you, God, but, but I also, I, like, I really want to do these things. And it's not until we fully let go of all those things and step over here it's like until you sell all your belongings, sell everything you have and move to Hawaii and then move into this house, it's not until you do that and you leave this place in Colorado that you can experience this life in Hawaii, right? So it's, it's the same thing here. You can't do both. We can't have one foot in each place. This is what Jesus says uh, in Luke 14.35. Any of you who do not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. Everything? Like, what about 90%? Jesus says, you've got to give up everything to be my disciple. In Luke 6, 24, he says, no one can have two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And he's talking about, he's not talking about like just money that we have. He's talking about the kingdom. There's, there's two kingdoms here. He says you can't serve the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, the world system. You can't do it. You can't do it at the same time. James 4.4, 4, James says it with a little more, I don't know if, if you know James, uh, he kind of like throws a few punches in, in his book there uh, that's like, ow, that really hurts. Uh, this is one of them. And he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? What is he talking about? He's saying, like, we have become sons of God. We're, we're the, the bride. And there's a bridegroom. Yet we're going back to the world system. It's that adultery of coming back. He's like, you adulterous people, don't do this. There's a much better life to live. He says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, these are harsh statements, but this is to to get us to shake our lives up a little bit here to say, hey, what are we going after in this time? And what do we need to be going after? I think we need a kingdom perspective. We need to refocus our lives on what is really important at the end of the day. In Matthew 7, it says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. It's not, there, there is a much easier way to go and you just go after the world system and you say, oh, I'm just going to go after the things of this world. But when we begin to have a different perspective on, on what this is all about, it's not about trying to save our life on earth. It's about going after the kingdom. Let me, let me show you here. Uh, in Jesus' life, this is the one who lived the most abundant life. He, he fulfilled every purpose on this earth that he was called to fulfill. And there was a number of things that he came for. Uh, I, I put a list together. I think we have it. Here we go. So I'm going to just, let's just go through these quickly. So these are, these are all the things, and not all of them. There's so many more. But he, he came to save the sinners, to be a light to the world, that we would have an abundant life, to bear witness to the truth, to destroy the works of the devil, to give eternal life, to preach the good news and set captives free, to bring judgment, to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, to fulfill the law and prophets, not for the righteous, but he came for the sinners, to reveal the Father's love, to seek and save the lost as a mediator between God and man, and to glorify the Father. Wow. That's a pretty good resume of things that, uh, to accomplish on this earth. But there's actually one thing that sums all of this up. Do you know what that is? Put up the next slide, will you? Ultimately, this is it. <laughs> Jesus came to the earth because he was sent by the Father to do the will of the Father. This is it. This is his entire purpose for coming down to earth. Now, the, the Father had some plans in, in mind of what he was going to accomplish. But all Jesus was there to do is he didn't come down and say, hey, I, I think I'll come down to earth now and play my part. No, it was the Father who sent him. It actually wasn't his plan at all. It was the Father's plan. The Father said, now is the time. The, time is, the fullness of the time has come, and I'm sending you into the earth. He sends him into the earth. And Jesus says, look, I don't do anything on my own accord. I only do what the Father says. He does the will of the Father. In, uh, 
In John 14.10, it says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So here they are, they're one. But Jesus actually submits to the Father. It's not a place of, that, he's, that he's lower than the Father. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are one, but they all play their part. And so what Jesus is doing is he's submitting to the Father. He says, the words that I say to you, they're not my own. They're not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. So this is, this is Jesus' life on this earth. And, and, and in John 1, he says this. As right after he's baptized, he begins his ministry, he says to the disciples, follow me. First command that he has for the disciples. He's talking about the three years that, he's gonna, that they're going to walk through. So they follow him through those three years. At the very end, if you look in John, the very last chapter, after he's actually reinstated Peter when he says three times, do you love me? He tells Peter, follow me. What's he doing? He's not going to follow him up to heaven at this point, right? This is the same follow me that he calls us to. This follow me is to say, hey, walk in my footsteps. Do as I did on the earth. What did I do? This is what he did. He says in John 12, 49, he says, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to do and say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. This is what he is calling us to do, is to do exactly what the Father says and what he tells us to do. It's, it's, it's very simple, but it's actually not that easy. Uh, even at the point of Jesus' death, this is the point where Jesus, he actually prays to the Father and he says, if you are willing, take this cup from me but not my will, but your will. What's he saying here? He's like, look, I don't really want to go through this if I don't have to go through this, but not my will, but your will. And he shows this from the beginning all the way to the end, that it's about going after the Father. It's about being obedient to his will. Uh, you guys are awfully quiet. You guys good? I've got a little bit more I just want to go through with you. I just feel like this is so important that we get this. Um, I want you to think about this. The life that we're living right now, what are we living it for? Because we're living for something. We're actually laying our lives down for something right now, every day. Every day is a day spent. So yesterday, you laid your life down for something. What was it that you laid your life down for? It's kind of like if you had a dollar for every day and you're spending that dollar. You've got to spend that dollar. What are you spending it on? Are you spending it on the, the corporate job or the, the kids' sports or, or your sports or television? Uh, it's crazy. Americans, the average right now is that Americans watch TV on a daily basis. Is two and a, over, it's 2.8 hours a day. That blows my mind. I feel like it's such... It just, it, anyway, I won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> some of the other things, I mean, it might be your, your boat, your getaway vacation. Like, these are the things you're focusing on. And, and is this what we're spending our, our time on? Is this what we're spending our lives on? Is this what we're giving uh, our lives to right now? And again, it may not be wrong. 
But are we seeking the Lord in everything that we're doing? Or are we, are we setting these plans and making these our plans? Are these our plans? Are these self-motivated? Or is it because we're being called to do this for the kingdom of God? You, there may be, you know, you're supposed to live in the, in the mansion up on the hill there, but it's for God's purposes. And he'll make that clear to you and he'll, he'll direct your path into that. So it's not about living a poor life, giving everything up. It's just walking in obedience with the Father. It says those that are, those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So as we are led, as we follow what the Spirit says, and the Spirit understands the deep thoughts of the Father, when we do that, this is how we become sons of God. This is how we walk in His ways. The, uh, let me actually, I'm going to just take you to John 15. Uh, John 15, Jesus does an amazing job here. Uh, of explaining how to actually do this. How do we lose our life for the abundant life that he has for us? We're going to actually be talking about John 15 even more this coming Wednesday as we're going through the book of John. But this is, this is where I think we can begin to get it. He talks about the, uh, uh, this vineyard, and he uses this as the example. And he, he, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches, God is the vine dresser. So real simple. And that's, this is what he tries to do is just put it in simple terms. So in this, let me just read this to you because I think this will help us understand this. Uh, this is the Passion Version, John 15, 9 through 11. And it says, I love each of you with the same love that the Father has for me. Get this part right here. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. This is a critical piece right here. As we lay our lives down, as we go after the Father's plans, which is the best plan for our life because he created us in his image for his purposes, for good works, as we begin to do this, it requires that we are nourished in our hearts by the love of Jesus. We can't do this on our own. Again, when you look at this example, you guys, I know you know the, the, the vine and the branches. We're branches. But without being connected to the vine, we're nothing. We're nothing. We have no life. I, I used this example in the last service. That it's like if you, Jesus couldn't have used this because we didn't have electricity at the time. So this is a, this is a new one. Uh, if you were like a light stand and, and he says, okay, you're the light stand and I'm your source. And so how do we turn on the light? We got to plug into the source, right? So if we're just a light stand, and we walk around and we go, yeah, look at this beautiful light. This is the beautiful light. And then when it gets dark, if we're not plugged in, what happens? Nothing. 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 You can't see. You're dark too. There's no light. There's no light that comes from you. You have nothing. But when you plug into the source, you light up. And in the same way, I believe this is the branches plugging into the vine. What we're doing is we're getting this nourishment in our hearts of the Father's love for us. And so this is the critical piece right here, that we would receive the Father's love. And then he says, if you keep my commands, you will live in my love. And what's his command? Love one another. So we receive the Father's love. We stay in that command, and we love one another. And it says, just as I have kept my Father's command, for I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. 
And then he, Jesus says, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing and gladness. This is that abundant life. There's, there's, a, there's an overflowing of this gladness and our hearts become alive in a new way because we're living in the purpose that we're created for and we have the love of Jesus in our hearts which is then released, which we cannot do on our own. So we have to be grafted into the vine. Right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Quick summary of John 15. Can you put that up there? Uh, this is it. Love God. First of all, this is like the first command, love the Lord your God with all your hearts and mind and strength. Remain in Jesus. Remain in the vine. Receive his love. It's only through receiving his love. And then, and then we obey his commands. And what's his command again? Love others. Does it say love others when they're really nice to you? No. Love others, period. Love others. When we do this, there is fruit that comes out of this. This is lasting fruit. And this brings glory to the Father, and we receive the abundant life. There's an abundant life that comes out of this. That's kind of the summary of John 15 right there. Um, <laughs> you know, when, when Christy and I, we were married, let's see, 38 years ago? No, no. <laughs> you guys are like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, we were married uh, 15 years ago. And... Uh, when we got married, we had this great plan. We were gonna, we were gonna, uh, Christy was getting into real estate, I was an engineer, and we were gonna be buying two homes a year. That was our plan. We're gonna buy two homes a year. Uh, we could fix them up. We're gonna rent them out. We're gonna retire by the time we're 40. Life is gonna be good. This is a great plan. We were reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you've ever read that book. Uh, anyway, we, ha we thought we had this great plan in place. And uh, problem is, is we were not seeking the Lord. And that we go back now and we look at this and we're like, boy, we were really, we had this great plan according to the world and what the world would say is a great plan. People around us were like, oh, that was a great plan. We were buying these homes, buying them up, and, and life was hell. I can tell you, our first year of marriage, we were saying we bought this condo that probably had over 100 cats in it, and there was no access to go outside and pee. So imagine what we had to do with Anyway, and we, we bought it and we moved into it. <laughs> and so it was, it was horrible. I mean, we were pulling up carpet and we're like, oh, dear Lord, help. <laughs> and, uh, but we thought we had this great plan in place. Anyway, our first year of marriage was, was horrific. Uh, we had a lot of counseling and uh, almost didn't make it. <laughs> And I think a lot of it was because we, we put these plans in place and started to move forward in the ways of the world, thinking this is where we're going to get this great life. But we didn't ask the Lord. We didn't seek the Lord in it. Now, there may be that some of you are doing this, but it, and if, if the Lord's telling you to go into it and begin to do this, do it, because that's what God is showing you to do, and that's great. But if he's not showing you, don't do it. Let me, I can tell you nightmare after nightmare after nightmare that we went through. And by God's grace, he got us out of there. We didn't, we, were, we ended up okay. But it took, it was years later where we actually went to the Lord. And we said, hey, God, is this what you're calling us to do? <laughs> it's like, nope. <laughs> so we ended up selling. We had sold a few of them, but we were down our last three. We sold three homes in like six months. And, uh, and we were like, okay, we're out. And boy, I'll tell you, it was like, 
we realized afterwards, it felt like we were dragging this anchor and like carrying this along. And we weren't going after the things of the Lord. We couldn't even go after the things of the Lord because we were so distracted on these homes we were trying to take care of. And we were up till three in the morning working on these things and trying to get things in place. And it was, it was not God's plan for us. And so we learned. Uh, we learned from it. And I think this is that continual process that we're going through. We were saying last night as we were talking through this that we'll probably look back in another 15 years and we'll look at where we are today and we'll go, oh, man, boy, were we off. <laughs> we... We really have a lot to learn. We had a lot to learn. It's funny, uh, when I was with uh, Heidi Baker and, uh, and Jake Hamilton uh, out in Mozambique, he was telling me the story of uh, he, was, he was praying for this mute man uh, in Mozambique and uh, praying over him, praying over him. He was with another guy, and they were praying for like 20 minutes, and uh, nothing was happening. And, you know, he's like, you know, Jake's... Jake understands how to do this stuff. He's, he's been around the block. And Heidi walked up to him. And it, and it was like he told me there was this, there was this moment of just humility of just going, okay, Lord, I'm, I have a lot to learn. Heidi walks up to him after about 20 minutes and puts her hand on his shoulder. And she goes, oh, Jake. <laughs> and if you know Heidi Baker, like, she's just so sweet. And she goes, oh, Jake, which is kind of like, Jake, let me just step aside for a minute. Let me take care of this. And she looks at the man, and she just goes, mute spirit, come out of him right now. And she goes, speak. And the man starts to speak. <laughs> and Jake said he, he walked out of there, and he's like, all right, yeah, I really don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> but I think that's the place. We're on this journey together, and we're all at a different place, and it's okay. We don't have to be there. We don't all have to be at the same place as Heidi. But the question is, is are we moving in that direction? Are we walking forward in the things of the Lord? Are we seeking Him? And are we gaining a greater understanding of Him in His plan for our life? And we miss it, and it's okay. There is grace when we miss it. We don't have to have it all perfect and figured out. And even in this, like, this isn't like, oh my gosh, like, I have to lay everything down today and have it all figured out tomorrow. No, this is saying, Holy Spirit, Show me what to do. Show me how to walk in this way. Give me your perspective on life. Let me receive your love. Let me walk out this love in loving other people and living the life that is an abundant life. And it's a process that we get to go through. And we go through it together. We go through it as the body of Christ. We come alongside each other. And we're like, hey, let me help you in this area. Hey, can you help me in that area? Like, this is where we come alongside each other and do this together. Right? We're not alone. My dad would always say, we're not Lone Rangers. We have Tonto. <laughs> Hopefully you're not all Tontos. <laughs> but we have each other to go through this. Uh, last thing I want to talk about here. You guys good? Yeah. All right. We still got another hour and 10 minutes, right? So we're good. People are sneaking out the back. <laughs> like, oh, Lord. There's no football game. We already said there's no games, right? So, yeah, here we go. Uh, as we love, this is a critical piece. It has to start with the family. We can't start by loving others outside of our family. Uh, and this is what we have a tendency to do. I was talking to someone just recently who was like, yeah, you know, my spouse, I love them. They're great. Uh, 
they always stop and help other people and they love other people and they're, they're praying for people and taking care of people. But, but they, when they come home, they're completely disengaged from the family. There's no love for the kids. There's no love for the spouse. It's kind of like it's all depleted. There's nothing left. The first place we need to start is in the family. And I want to explain something here that's so critical that we understand that actually the way God's designed for this is that this, the family, would be a testimony of the relationship between Christ and the church. And when we don't live that way, when we as the body of Christ don't live that way, what kind of testimony are we showing the world? So, and there's grace. Thank the Lord, there's grace. And so, I mean... As we go through life, and for those that have been divorced, like, there's grace. But let's start from today moving forward. Let's begin to do this in the right way. And this is what I want to show you. In Ephesians 5, uh, Paul hits this so well. And I'm going to read this in the Passion because, again, I think you're going to see this or hear this in a way that's going to make it much more clear. He starts out with the wives, which is a good thing. Like, yes, we need to talk to the wives. Wives, you need to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> my wife's not here, so it's okay. I can say this right now. But actually, let me just say as I start this, the men have a greater responsibility in this. Uh, the men have a greater responsibility than the wives, and you'll see why in here. So first of all, to the wives, it says that this means being supportive to your husbands. This is the way that God has designed the church in relationship to Christ and marriage with husband in relationship to wife, and wife in relationship to husband. He says, wives, this means being supportive to your husbands, like you are tenderly devoted to the Lord. That's a pretty strong, this is, you know, in other versions, it's uh, that you would submit, submit such a, a, a kind of a harsh word in, in our day and age, but it's actually this tenderly devoted to the Lord, that that's the way that you should be to your husband. It says, for the husband provides leadership for the wife, just as Christ provides leadership for the church as the savior and reviver of the body. In the same way, the church is devoted to Christ. Let the wives be devoted to their husbands in everything. So there is something to catch here to understand in this. It is so important. And if this begins to happen, this shifts a culture. This shifts a mindset. And I think this is so countercultural to the world today. Because that would say, like, women, you got to stand up. You got to, doesn't matter what your men are doing, like, you're going to go forward. You need to be women. Like, you need to be strong. There is something that the Lord has designed in this place of, of actually being tenderly devoted to your husband. And then he says this to the husbands. And this is where husbands, we have a lot on our shoulders. It says, to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love to your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. It says, for he died for us. So, huh. <laughs> it's a whole other level of, of love. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us pure and holy, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. So he has designed us, men, to actually be this model of being how Christ is to the church. And what did Christ do? How, what, who did he submit to? He submitted to the Father. 
And so our job is to submit to the Father and love to the point of laying down our lives. That leadership position is actually this position. It's coming alongside. It's coming underneath and lifting up our spouses and being there for them. And then, and then it's the wives tenderly submitting and, and coming alongside the husbands and saying, yes, like I will submit to your leadership. Why? Because the husband's submitting to the father. This is like, this is the kingdom plan. This is the, the order that God has set in place for his purposes. And when we begin to walk in this order, there will be no more divorce. There will be, like, now we begin to show the world how Christ is to the church and how the church is to Christ. This becomes the number one witness to the world of how we, how we are supposed to live our lives. It's, a, it's an awesome thing when you begin to see this. In verse 32, it says, marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty. And then he says, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be a vivid example of Christ and the church. Folks, I believe if we get this, this begins to shift a culture, and we begin to do something that no one else has been able to do. You look at the church today, we are failing miserably in this area. Miserably. And, and I think rightly so because there's, one, we're not, we're not doing that. And two, there's a greater attack in the church. The enemy is going to be much, is, is going to have a greater attack on the church than he is outside the church. Because if he can attack the marriages in the church, he's going to keep us from being the witness that we're called to be to this world. Does that make sense? Okay. I got more, but I'm going to, I'm going to close it up here. Uh, I think that's, that is really, if we can get that, and then if we can get this understanding of, of really, we receive the love of the Father, and this is how we operate. We actually lay down our lives. We walk in step with the Spirit, and we begin to live this abundant life that He's called us to.